End-of-year assessments for both school and tertiary students in Christchurch are looming. Learning time has been curtailed because of the earthquakes and during the year, six schools have had to share three undamaged sites. There's also talk over the nature of schools in the city in the future. In this Radio New Zealand Insight programme, Philippa Tolley has been to the damaged city to find out what's being done to help students preparing for end-of-year exams. It's just one o'clock, school finished approximately three or four minutes ago and our students are now exiting the grounds. The reality of a school day for Papua Nui High where lessons end at lunchtime and students have to be out of the school grounds. And surely boys enter through the main front entrance and then uh, make their way through, through to the various places in the school that they need to go. We run a six-period day. and so a period Jeff Smith is the principal of Papua Nui High, a large co-ed school in the northwest of Christchurch, which has been sharing its site with Shirley Boys since shortly after the devastating earthquake in February. As NCEA exams approach, Jeff Smith says the monitoring of students' welfare is more important than ever. Our, our information would suggest that we do have a small pocket of students that have struggled and are struggling, and we are aware of those and we're working with them and the greater majority of our students I think again are just putting each day behind them and wanting to get you know people talk about the the new normal well I think a lot of students just want to be left alone in a lot of ways to just get on with what they do and probably not be constantly reminded of of the earthquake and, and its effects. He's proud of the way his students have coped with the challenges of fitting their school day into not much more than four hours. Both students and teachers appear to be determined to keep up the range of academic, sports and cultural activities. Well, I think it's more testament to the resilience of the students and staff and, and both groups are probably reluctant to let too much go. So the short answer is that as we've actually done as much as we would or normally do, um, or very close to it. And that is essentially driven by the motivation to allow students to have what they need. Um, simple things for, for year 13 in their last year here, you know, we're reluctant not to be able to let them have those, know the ball, um, their involvement in their co-curricular activities, and that are just too important. Papua Nui's head boy, Theo Faithful, admits he's not a morning person and that the earlier starts are a challenge, but for him it's a question of making the most of the situation. Um, personally, I'm feeling as good as, as you can get with all the pressure on, and this year especially there is more pressure. I mean, being year 13, is, there's a novelty to that as well. I mean, this is one of the most important years at high school, and then with the smaller times at school, I mean, there is pressure, but... You cope with what you get, so yeah. His deputy, Hayden Dale, says for many students the intensity of the school day has turned out to be a positive. What this has done, I know the times have been condensed a lot, but in a way the pressure's been good for, for many students, and not for all students of course, but for a lot of students, because um, especially the teachers are helping out a lot, they're, they're, they're providing um, the extra push, uh, especially with internals and things like that. I mean, it's hard for the teachers, especially when they've got to compact their program to fit it into you know four less or six less weeks, whatever it is. But I think for NCA results, I think each person has their personal goal, and I think they know that they can achieve that in the time they've got. So I think they'll still go to the same level, achieve merit or whatever they're looking for. 
Another class change as the afternoon lessons get underway. The school being hosted, Shirley Boys, had its premises severely damaged and was unable to continue operating at its site with the exception of a few scholarship classes. The headmaster, John Lawrenson, describes Shirley Boys as being in the seaside area of Christchurch, the part worst affected in February. 400 of my students live in the red zone. Ten of my staff, including me, um, live in, in an area of Christchurch where the houses are going to be pulled down and we have to go. The school faces uh, so not only the same challenges as sure. Papua Nui, but also um, questions over whether it will survive um, at all. Later this term, it's due to return to its site in the northeast suburb of Shirley, but its future will be reviewed after two years when numbers of students and the safety of the land might be clearer. I've said to the staff, we need to reinvent what we are, <clears throat> we need to sharpen our focus, um, and we've got one major goal, and that major goal is to come out at the end of two years with a very significant school role. That significant school role has got to be between 1,100 and 1,200 boys, because at that stage in time we can't be wished away. Um, by the stroke of a pen in Wellington, um, we can't just suddenly cease to exist as a school. Sharing the school site for the second half of the day has the advantage of allowing sports practice in the mornings rather than the chill of late afternoon. But it's been a dark trip home for Shirley Boys students whose days end after five and who, John Lawrenson points out, then have to bus back across a city of damaged streets to suburbs on the opposite side of town. In that early period of time, some of my wee ones, the 13-year-old boys, were getting home after 8 o'clock at night in some pretty difficult conditions. Um, that was hard. The student representative on the school's board of trustees, Cameron Russell, is one of those who have had to move as his home in South New Brighton is too badly damaged. He thinks many boys find afternoon school difficult. For this to come along and completely change the other side of town and completely change our body clock, it's a bit stressful. But yeah, some students really struggle and it's, but some students really like it. It's, I mean, I done a survey amongst the students last term and, you know, it just, it's shown how much the students favoured starting in the morning. You know, all the students in the morning were really wanting to wait, you know, be up at 8 o'clock start school rather than have to, you know, wait during the day, be a bit restless, not doing anything, because the afternoon was more favourable to do homework and work and after school activities and sporting, so it's a very interesting process. <laughs> he says another interesting outcome of the whole site sharing development is that attendance rates have actually gone up, a result he attributes to students realising that every moment of school time is vital, that if they don't attend, they won't pass NCEA. Just a couple of suburbs away, another secondary school, one of the largest in the country, is also sharing its site and will continue to do so until next year. Burnside is a co-educational school. It is a school of 2,600 students in the northwest. It is a school which, post the earthquake, has been safe. Uh, we don't have any structural damage. The deputy principal of this host school, Tim Grocott, says with Avonside girls using the facilities in the afternoon, there is pressure both academically and with extra or co-curricular activities. The co-curricular and those sorts of things have been affected because at one o'clock Avonside starts and that's still our lunchtime. And so the, the opportunity for practices, for rehearsal, for those sorts of things where there is actual space for that is shortened. There's only 
20 minutes and then Avonside classes start. So that really hasn't been possible and so some of the things have been curtailed. But it's about doing it where you can. But certainly we're, we're a high performing music performance school and the space that's available for that to continue has been severely hampered and limited. Anecdotally, some students resent their school being occupied by other students and some teachers feel it's time they had their facilities back on a full-time basis. But Tim Grocott says Burnside High and Avonside Girls have managed remarkably well. As much as we possibly can, we have educated our students about the fact that this is something that we need to do. We've educated our students about the nature of altruism and that we just have to give something back. Um, certainly the, the division that I lead um, in assemblies, I've spoken about that on a number of occasions, that we are very fortunate that we're in a position as a, as a school that our school is undamaged, that mostly our community is undamaged, and it's actually a privilege for us to be able to help out another school who is not so lucky. The principal of Avonside Girls High School, Sue Hume, describes the sharing arrangement as an easy marriage but some of the difficulties stem from the day-to-day -day requirements of running a school and trying to maintain its special character. The main difficulty, I guess, about the site sharing is the fact that we have half a day at school and the impact on the students and on our school culture because we don't have a whole day. We don't have a school lunch hour to do those extra things that give a school its... I guess it's culture and how we feel about the place. The opportunities for our students and student leadership because they don't have access to their peers to do the sorts of things they do within the length of a normal school day. So there have been compromises right down the line. So it's, as I've, I've always said, site sharing is a, is a response to a crisis situation and it's not the model for learning in the future. Sam Hampson, the deputy head girl at Avonside, is a self-confessed night owl and happy to start her day a bit later after a sleep-in. She says the strange situation her school has found itself in is an incentive to study harder. Everybody sort of is not depressed about the situation. They get on with it. They realise that this is the best situation that we can have and just glad that we're actually back at school and not somewhere random or split up in different schools. So they sort of... Yeah, it's kind of worse than what it would have been, but it could have been even worse than that, so it's not too bad. And being with a co-ed school has its attractions. The girls love it. <laughs> being teenage girls, they're like, oh, there's boys around, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I think they enjoy it. <laughs> Hello, I have an appointment to see Barley Hark. Fine, I'll ring his PA and let him know. Thank you very much. The Qualifications Authority, which administers the secondary school assessment system, has been in Christchurch to assist teachers and explain some of the provisions available to help deal with disruptions. Its Deputy Chief Executive, Bali Huck, says teachers are being asked to cover what's needed and no more. For some courses, this has meant cutting back the number of credits available for a particular subject. When it comes to external assessments, he says extra flexibility is being built in. We're going to use something we've called derived grades uh, and that really is about getting advice from schools and teachers in particular about the performance of students uh, in examinations. And what we're saying is if a student is performing less well than expected 
in the examination. We are certainly prepared to look at that in terms of a special grade. And the way we're going to do that is by talking to the teachers, getting their advice, getting an idea of what the students have done during the year. And so we will, uh, if necessary, with, with teacher and school uh, guidance, and on, on request, provide a derived grade. Now, if the derived grade is better than the grade, grade the student gets during the examination, they'll get the better grade. The head of the school council at Avonside, Bethany Mathers, says some students have been affected by the cutback in the number of credits offered, especially where it might affect their opportunity to secure an endorsement of merit or excellence. I think some people were really annoyed when they suddenly discovered that they had less opportunity to earn credits. And for some people, um, especially the internal credits, are really important to get them because, um, you know, exams they kind of can be quite chancy um, whether you get the credits or not. And internal credits are, you know, you do the work and you're much more likely to sort of get it. But any suggestion of special Christchurch NCEA results that won't be as robust as others achieve throughout the country is rejected by Bali Huck. One of the really strong pieces of feedback we've got is that neither the students or the teachers or the boards want a sort of second-class NCEA. So we are going down that very tight line of making sure that students who get NCAs get NCAs deservedly. Now that's going to be in consultation with schools, it's going to be based on the advice of schools, but we're not about to have a freebie here either because I think that's not good for the students or the teachers or, or, or the qualification. So when students get their results, um, Christchurch students get their results, they won't be annotated in any way, there will be nothing indicating that this year students uh, in Christchurch had any special consideration. We don't think that's fair, particularly two or three or four years down the track. We don't want to do that. The head girl at Avonside, Shiloh Sutherland, hopes the qualifications she and her fellow students achieve won't be looked down on. I don't think you realise how much just little things count until you're here. Um, like, no, nobody's asking for things to be handed out to them, but yeah, I think it does need to be seen as we have had it pretty rough, so I think grades will drop. She's contemplating staying in Christchurch next year to attend Canterbury University, which is facing its own challenges, not only to educate this year's students, but to secure a good intake for next year. The Vice-Chancellor, Rod Carr, says last semester there had to be flexibility with how assessment was carried out. Of about 300 exams, uh, roughly 100 of them, uh, were decided by course coordinators that they had sufficient assessment material during the semester to reach a fair conclusion, uh, and then the rest went ahead and had some form of assessment in the examination period. All students were given the right to appeal their final grade. They didn't have to prove anything. They just had to simply say, I'd like somebody to review my case. And about 3,500 of 15,000 students took the opportunity to ask for a reassessment of their grade for the first semester. But how are Canterbury University students themselves feeling about their courses? I met a group of second-year students who are taking a range of degrees. Charlie and Willie are civil engineering students and initially had to move into temporary facilities, as Willie explains. After the major one in February, we got sent into a, uh, into a church, actually. And so that was quite interesting. Um, a lot of the other guys were in tents. So we had, at least we had heating in the church, which was kind of good for us. Um, yeah, we were in there for about two months. Charlie says there weren't the lab opportunities at the start of the year, and assessments have been different than usual. The exam load's sort of changed. There hasn't been as much emphasis on interview exams. We've had more assignments and tests during the term time. 
Um, and they actually said there were no exams at the end, they'd just be tests. So we had sort of last term uh, tests and assignment generally every week. So the workload just did not stop, we were just going through the whole time. But it's sort of slowed down now, coming to the second semester, starting new papers, it's back to normal. The university has less control over the exams for those taking professional courses such as engineering and law, as Sam, who is involved in legal studies, explains. Laws sort of suffered a bit of, bit of a change around. We were supposed to have um, mid-sessional exams in April, which I'm sitting at the moment. Um, so yeah, we've definitely sort of had to wait it out with um, we've sort of being told that they were off after a decent aftershock and they're back on. But I definitely think um, the uni's doing the right thing. As far as content, there's no way we could be tested on a whole year at the end of year. Yeah. A commerce student, Harry, backs efforts by the university to make sure no one was penalised because of the earthquakes. It's offered Agritat options, where work is internally assessed because preparation for or performance in an exam has been impaired in some way, in this case by the earthquakes and disruption to lectures. But Harry says such options are in themselves causing some concern. I think one of the, the main issues that people had initially with the Agritat system was that, well, how will this look on my CV? You know, when I have to give in all my marks, when I'm trying to get a job, will it, you know, will it affect how they think of me? And I think the, the general message that the university gave was that, well, there will be a lot of Agritat assessment marks, you know, coming out of Canterbury University for semester one 2011 and so that they really pushed that you know it, it wouldn't look any different just because if you have knowledge of the situation people would understand. While 210 buildings at the university are able to be used among the nine still closed off is the Student Association building. The association's president, Cohen McNabb, says the big effect of that is that there is now a lack of social space. It's really one of those things that you don't notice and you don't appreciate until it's gone. You know, just in between lectures, the ability to go sit somewhere or open your laptop somewhere and just, when you've got to do that outside, it's a huge difference. And so that's been a big effect. The other one is obviously the um, sort of late night stuff. Uh, we've got the, we had the foundry and the ballroom over there which are both out of action. Uh, there was a student bar and, and the student event centre and so losing them has had a massive effect. We've tried to replicate that with off-site um, spaces. You, um, Addington Raceway have been fantastic in helping there but it really is the message we've had and the message that we knew was that it's just not the same. Work is going on here underneath the library building in an area that was previously just a huge bike park. Within a short time it's hoped the area will be enclosed and furnished to provide one of those much needed social spaces. The Student Association, which also calls the library home at the moment, is aiming to have its building back up and running again next year. The other challenge for the university has been a loss of students. 1,500 students are no longer studying at the university, 10% less than usual. Dr Carr says a big effort will be needed to attract students for next year, both from the region, the rest of the country and overseas. Already the university is offering new financial incentives to high achievers in NCEA, a direct result of the earthquakes over the past year. I think it focused us on doing sooner what we were going to do anyway. All of the universities compete for the more talented students. I think this said, uh, look, we need to do this sooner and we need to do it more boldly. 
Despite the tragedy of the earthquakes, the Education Minister Anne Tolley believes there is now huge opportunity for all of those involved in the education sector to consider what is best for the future. Those suggestions could mean changes that some would regard as radical, including a shift in the nature of Christchurch schooling. Some of them have been talking about an education campus that goes from early childhood right through into tertiary, linking with the Polytech or Lincoln University or Canterbury University, so thinking, is, is there a way that we can work closer together? The state hasn't built a single-sex school for a long, long time, and so there's a bit of, of a fear was expressed quite early on that we wouldn't do that, and I've said, look, that's a part of the character of the city. And of course we would want to make sure that Avonside girls and Shirley boys had a future, but we might actually think about how that happens and it might be in a different way. And I've already had raised with me by a number of principals that we could look at maybe sharing some of these specialist facilities where you could make your money go a lot further and have bigger and better facilities. Shirley boys and Avonside both face an uncertain future, but Sue Hume is adamant there is a need for the type of schooling her institution offers. Christchurch has historically had two state girls' schools. Um, Avonside Girls High School has been around since 1928 as a school in its own right and has educated lots of women who are very proud to be Avonside Girls High School old girls and we offer a very valid and valuable education for girls and for families who wish to have that. If there was not to be an Avonside Girls High School in the future, that would mean that girls' education will become the prerogative of perhaps only those who can afford to have it. So I think it's absolutely vital that there is an Avonside Girls High School and that the school is rebuilt. It's not just the buildings that make a school, but its pupils and teachers. The Education Minister doesn't think many teachers have left the city so far this year, and she is full of praise for the way they've coped in such extreme times. Many of them have had to cope with their own personal difficulties um, without facilities, with um, broken houses, had to trek across town which at times has been uh, taken three and four times as long and then turn up at school with a smile on their face and lift students out of you know, their difficulties and still carry on. They've done that tremendously over the last, um, well really over the last ten months. You know, you have to admire that professionalism and that dedication. But a reduction in roles is going to force many schools to reduce staff. The latest figures show that nearly 4,400 students have left schools in Christchurch, although 1,200 of them have moved schools within the city. The population in Christchurch has shifted away from the damaged areas, and for schools such as Shirley Boys, John Lawrenson says that is likely to mean fewer pupils and reduced funding. And it's not so much this year, next year is when... Um, the role falls will will have to be brought through and be reflected in the in the numbers of staff. Um, I've asked for and and it hasn't been um, it hasn't been granted an extra year's worth of support for schools. Um, I have asked at least for the co-locating schools, the schools that have had to leave the site. Um, there's only five or six. I've asked that as a special case, the minister considers freezing their staffing levels at the start of 2011 um, level for 2012, um, but the Minister has not accepted that argument. The situation is very much the same for Avonside girls. We had 
1,240 students at the time of the earthquake and we are down under, under 1,100 now. There always is some natural attrition as we go through the year, but it has been exacerbated because of the earthquake. The chairperson of the Earthquake Task Force of the Post-Primary Teachers Association, Jacinta Grice, believes all teachers are feeling the pressure of trying to get through a year's work, having lost so many teaching days. The continuing effect of damaged roads and closed-off streets means getting to and from school is taking more time. At a meeting of the Earthquake Task Force in the last week, she told me the most scary thing for schools at the moment is the drop in roles and the expectation of a significant loss of secondary teachers at the end of the year. But Jacinta Grice wants the authorities to be planning for what will happen next. You've got to bear in mind is not just next year or the year after, is that while there is going to be this population decline at the moment, if there's going to be a building boom, the population's going to be back pretty quick and it's probably going to be bigger. So it's, you know, you have to be careful about getting rid of your well-trained and qualified teachers from the city um, if you're going to need them the year after or the year after that. For Burnside, Tim Grocott says it's not a falling role that will reduce the funding for staff but an absence of international students. We fund a number of staff out of our international fee payers. We have lost either who have left or who haven't come, who were supposed to come in the mid-year intake and haven't arrived, around about 40 students, which is getting up close towards half a million dollars worth of income. We will not be able to re-employ some of our fixed-term staff for 2012. But looking back, will students and parents regard 2011 as a write-off? Bali Huck from the Qualifications Authority is adamant that won't be the case. People are tired, people are um, angry in, in many ways with what's happened, um, and particularly the schools where they have to share the same site. Uh, but what we're also getting is a sort of a determination from both teachers and students. This is the NCA, this is the national qualification, uh, this is the chance we have and we're going to make it. Nevertheless, the headmaster of Shirley Boys, John Lawrenson, says the effects of the disaster can't be ignored. There will be an effect. Um, the students are, in the heart of hearts, worried about it. I mean, I still have a school where a large number of boys are now living in other accommodation, where brothers and sisters are lumped into the same bedroom because the house has been damaged. Those things are very common um, now in, in, in Shirley. That has to have an impact. University students may have lost out too, particularly in their social life, but the Vice-Chancellor, Dr Rod Carr, believes there are some pluses to this extraordinary year. Is it enjoyable to be studying in the uncertain and slightly disrupted environment? Uh, not as enjoyable as it would have been without it, but are there some upsides to it? There's a sense of collegiality, there's a sense of peer group participation that is unique, and so I think it is a, is a different configuration. But our students are doing a great job and they will for the rest of their lives have this amazingly shared experience. The girls in their last year at Avonside won't get the chance to return to their old school. But Sue Hume says they're giving the girls a chance to say goodbye. Year 13s have felt very keenly the distance between here and, and Avonside and they very much miss it and they have asked to go be able to go back and so we're planning a, a picnic on the grounds at Avonside for them at the end of the year. They've, they've said to me, you don't actually realise how much you like a place until you can't be there. For this year 12 Shirley Boys student Cameron Russell 
The move back to his own school can't come soon enough. You know, it'd just be something really great. I mean, I'm excited, I'm happy. There's really no words to describe it. It's just excited. That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Philippa Tolley. It was produced by Gail Woods and technical production was by Leanne Smith.